Lauren. Mike. Lauren, how much do you love the MacBook's touch bar? <laughs> this is a trick question. Yes. <laughs> I'm uh, touched you would ask, but um, <laughs> I very rarely used it. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about that feature and many more things that we both love and don't love on this week's show. Sounds like a touchy subject. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. We are also joined this week by Wired product reviewer and writer, Brenda Stolier. Hello, Brenda. Welcome back to the show. Hello. Thank you for inviting me back. Of course. Anytime. And we also have on the show Wired Reviews Editor and, uh, I don't know, honorary third host, Julian Chokatu. Hi, Julian. Hello. Thank you for having me. Today, we are talking about, you guessed it, more product announcements. Both Apple and Google had big virtual tech presentations this week to show off their flashy new hardware. Apple revealed some new yet rather familiar MacBooks. And the following day, Google unveiled its newly redesigned Pixel phones. There's been a whole bunch of these product events in the past month, as regular listeners of this show will know. So this time, we're going to do things a little differently. It's a rants and raves show. We'll go around the horn and each person will talk about one specific feature of these two new devices that we either love or we think are the worst things ever made. We're not being at all hyperbolic here. <laughs> no. I'd like to start on a positive note, but Brenda, the MacBook now has a notch. What? Yes, it does. And it is actually one thing I will say I think I love about it. Um, a lot of people were very quick to judge the notch um, without actually taking into account that it gives you more screen real estate, essentially. Um, so the menu bar that would sit lower on previous versions now sits higher thanks to the notch um and there's also slimmer bezels on the top and the sides um and so technically you get a 14.2 inch screen and a 16.2 inch screen on the 14 inch and the 16 inch model um and so yeah i'm here for it um i'm not saying that i'm speaking from experience because i'm not speaking from experience but with my experience on other macbooks my eye level doesn't even really like focus on the top of the MacBook Pro. Um, it's generally like beneath that. So I really don't think people are even going to notice it all that much um, after using it for a while. So I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Another thing I really love about it is the 1080p camera. Um, I feel like we've all been waiting for this on a MacBook for a while now, especially because other uh, brands like Microsoft and Dell and Lenovo this year have already come out with 1080p uh, laptop cameras, um, especially in our still pandemic times. So um, it's nice to see it finally make its way from the iMac to the MacBook. Do we need 1080p on a on a webcam? I'm kind of happy with the lower resolution. No, I'm like, I yeah, I'm super <laughs> resentful that as I'm getting older, all of the cameras are just getting better. It should be getting worse. <laughs> I agree. I think I was actually saying this earlier on one of our other meetings that on days when my skin is not very uh, nice to me, um, it gives me anxiety to like not have makeup on and to let my coworkers just see me in rare form. But I think similar to like how 
people compare, say, a 60 hertz refresh rate to a 120 hertz refresh rate. Once you go to like the next level, you can't really go back. So I do find myself staring at like um, the screen with a 720p camera. And I'm like, this literally looks like something from the early 2000s. So it's definitely necessary. But I will say, yes, the timing when we're all home and not really like, you know, ready all the time is is ironic. Julian, what thoughts do you have about the new MacBook Pro? Um, ports is, you know, like, hello, like <laughs> there's now what f- several ports. There's three USB-C Thunderbolt 4. There's one HDMI. There's an SD card slot, which is like, what? Like what, what is happening over there? Uh, and, uh, and a high quality uh, 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. So it just feels like a gigantic slap in the face if you bought a MacBook in the past five years, because it's like they're pretty much saying we were wrong. Um, we mm. clearly should have kept all of those ports in. And I really feel bad for anyone that bought a MacBook this year or last year because, you know, the M1s came out. But now it's like, uh, well, this this is so much better because I'm I'm totally ready to, like, not use dongles and carry all of that stuff around. Um, this is just so much better and it does suck though, that they sort of led with, um, this sort of port strategy on the super expensive model. Like, I feel like if they did this last year with a completely new chip, I feel like that would have tied it all really well and had a much better start to that and and actually differentiated the M1 MacBook a lot more than the previous gens. But, you know, I guess I can only wish so much. Yeah, and we should note that we will have more to say about the performance of the machines once we actually get a chance to write the review. Those are coming. This podcast is being recorded in between the time that the product was announced and the product is actually reviewed. So we'll have more to say about that actual chip later. But uh, for now, Lauren, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the ports? <laughs> um, okay, so my rave is the specifically the SD card port which I think a lot of podcasters might also appreciate because like right now I'm recording into a Zoom H6 handheld recorder and those still take, and a lot of people use this, and those still take SD cards, standard SD cards. And um, and so every week when we tape the podcast and we've been doing it remotely for a long time now because of the pandemic, like I would take the SD card out and then I would look for the right dongle and then I'd plug the dongle into the two USB-C ports in this MacBook quote unquote pro. And then sometimes I'd put the dongle in upside down and I have to switch positions. And then sometimes I jam the SD card in and it's not recognized right away. It's it's just super irritating. There have been times when I've I've been like somewhere else, not had the dongle, had a, a a full podcast recorded onto an SD card on the Zoom and been like, holy crap, I have no way to transfer this file right now because the Zoom itself is not Wi-Fi connected. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that's not even that's not even to talk about like the photographers who still record things or videographers who still record things to SD cards and then have to use a dongle to to get it onto a machine to edit the imagery. We needed the SD card port back. My only gripe is that it's it's now on these like super, super expensive machines and not on every MacBook. Yeah. Um, so that's my rave. Yay for the SD card port. It's a bit of a rant too, because I'm like still angry that it was taken away, but Apple taketh away and Apple giveth back and expects a lot of credit for it. Okay. My rant, my actual rant, it has nothing to do with the MacBook. 
Also at this event earlier this week, Apple announced that there is a Siri-only version of Apple Music. Now, on the one hand, it's only $5 a month, which is a pretty great deal if you're looking to subscribe to a streaming music service that has like, you know, millions and millions and millions of tracks, just like every other streaming music service, Spotify and all the rest. On the other hand, who the hell wants to use Siri and Siri only to search for music and playlists? So to be clear, like you cannot type the name of an artist or a song if you have this plan, right? This is my understanding of it. Like this is, I've read about it on the internet. I have not yet <laughs> used it. Never trusted anything on the internet, kids. But the, but th like this is the way it was presented. Like it's voice only music control. I mean, it's it's like, yes, yeah, so you you can get full access to this music service for five dollars a month. That's a pretty good deal. Also, you are helping Apple make the completely incompetent Siri slightly better because over time you're just you know helping to build up their voice library, and these are supposedly all like. It's anonymous, right? But like, I, I can't even imagine like, I mean, are you, are you just going to be like, you know, hey, Siri, play like dinner party playlist or hey, Siri, play like in the mood playlist. And she's going to be like, I'm sorry, I cannot find that. Would you like me to search the web for that? Or like, how how is this actually going to work? Yeah, right. Like you ask for Black Sabbath and it plays Black Mountain. Yeah. I have that problem all the time. It, you know, hey, Siri, play Sweet Home Alabama. Would you like to hear Alabama Shakes? Like, I just, I can't wait to see how this goes. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's like my preliminary rant. That's my pre preliminary rant of like not having tried the thing yet, but just thinking it sounds really ridiculous. It's just a way for Apple to get even more money because you're going to get frustrated when Siri plays the wrong song and then you're going to pick up your iPhone and then realize that you can't use it to control your music plan. And then you'll throw your iPhone against the wall. It'll break. And then you have to go to the Apple store for your iPhone. <laughs> Rinse and repeat. I'm sorry, Julian. I didn't understand that. Would you like me to search the web for what you just said? <laughs> well, we, we do have to move on, but I have one parting thought. Tell us your rant. It's more of a rave. Okay. I am very happy to see the touch bar being apparently phased out of Apple's laptop hardware line. Right, we're going to assume that everyone knows what the touch bar is, who's listening, but very quickly tell us what the touch bar was uh, it's a uh, frustratingly inadequate strip of uh, screen touch screen that runs across the top of the keyboard that replaced the uh, very useful line of function keys and escape key and power key that used to be at the top of the Apple keyboard. Um, Apple made this move what like five years ago, something mm -hmm. like that, and put this strip up there. And the idea was that developers who made applications like uh, Adobe, for example, you know, or um, Ableton Live or something like that could put a like a context sensitive control panel there. So it would give like sort of touchscreen style interactions to um, desktop applications. Developers sort of used it. Most did not. So then it just ended up feeling like your computer was missing a row of keys that you used to use all the time. And instead, here's this thing that you accidentally touch and accidentally launch things that you don't want to launch while you're typing. So good riddance, I say, touch bar. Wish we never knew you. Just to point out, there is one last MacBook that Apple is selling with the touch bar. It's the MacBook Pro from last year yeah. uh, with the M1. So avoid it if, if you can. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, you know, uh, maybe the next ones won't have it. Maybe they will. Like, we don't know. They didn't definitively say that it's going away. They just showed a computer without it on it. So with the MacBook Air M1 from 2020, I think the most underrated feature was that they added those function keys to the top. Um, and that's what they've implemented into the MacBook Pro of 2021. Um, and I loved it on the MacBook Air. It's just a lot more intuitive. Um, so it sounds like a lovely idea. But this is all like, I mean, we're, like we're all suffering from Stockholm syndrome, right? Because like, listen to us. We're like, I love that this keyboard has a has a row of function keys. Did you know? <laughs> did you know it has a row of function keys? Like you don't say, right? Oh my God, there's a there is a port. I gotta tell you, there's a port in this laptop that I find incredibly useful for my profession. As a professional, <laughs> this is incredible. This is innovation. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? They took all this stuff away from us over the past five years. And and like in the keyboard, don't even get me started on the keyboard right now. There is a piece of something stuck under my caps lock key. It's literally, as we tape this, it is driving me crazy, this damn keyboard. But now we're finally, we are finally returning to functional MacBook Pros. Hallelujah. We haven't even talked about the chips, but that's like a whole other thing. Anyway. Guys, anytime you want to be brought back to reality, come to me. I'll slack with you. I'll tape the podcast with you. We'll, we'll make it real, guys. We'll make it nice. real. Nice. Thank, thank you. Love the passion. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we have to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the Pixel. Okay. Welcome back to round two. Apple's mega commercial may have been flashier, but Google also had some news to share this week. Julian, you have had your hands on the new Pixel 6 models for a few days now. Your formal review is not written yet, but we learned a lot about these phones earlier this year. So now that you actually have the phones in front of you, what can you tell us about them? Well, I and can't. As, as, as I say this, I realize that are we allowed to say that you have the phones in front of you? Yes, uh, they're a little more lenient. Um, okay. I can say that there is a review embargo on Monday, so we can expect our review on Wired.com on Monday. Um, but I mean, I can't actually talk, uh, I suppose, much about the actual features or my thoughts on them. But uh, generally, as, a, as an overview, you know, there are two phones, Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro. Um, they're both using Google's first ever custom Tensor chip, which we sort of um, got a preview of earlier this year in August. Um, but it's a pretty big deal because that chip is meant to run complex uh, machine learning algorithms. Uh, so instead of a traditional CPU and GPU, this is a TPU, uh, a tensor processing unit, which is sort of the term that they are pulling from their chips that they use for their cloud services, cloud computing services. So uh, basically, you know, any and every existing machine learning function or task that's available on an existing Pixel phone, whether it's something like portrait mode in the camera to the recording app that sort of is using ML to understand your speech, um, everything is just going to get a lot better. And there's a couple of new features that they're adding that are also utilizing all of that power that they're getting from being able to run all of these powerful machine learning tasks on, on this device. So one of the new features is assistant voice typing, which is pretty much voice voice dictation, but um, it's using that new Tensor chip to understand everything you're saying incredibly fast. And also it'll understand punctuation. It'll, if you're saying one of the examples that they said was, if you say the word 
Catherine. And if you're intending to use the Catherine spelt with a K, uh, if you just sort of tap the word that shows up in one of the, the prompts on the keyboard, it'll learn that. And then the next time you say Catherine, it'll use that form of the, the word. So it sort of is always understanding. And that's just one of the most exciting parts of these phones is that everything you do on it is going to be sort of just evolving over time and, and being expertly tailored for your own experience. Brenda, um, based on what you've seen of the Pixel 6 so far, what are your rants and raves for it? Okay, so I'm going to say my rave is the design. Um, I think for me, it's been one of the most refreshing designs I've seen this year. Rather than building on an existing design, they scrapped it and they just started fresh, which is Nice to see uh, in general, because I feel like we don't really see that much with phone manufacturers. I won't name specific ones, but um, so that was nice. I'd say that's that's definitely a rave. Also, I think the software features um, like Realtone and then also Magic Eraser are really cool. Um, specifically Magic Eraser, I am not good with photo editing. I just don't have the patience for it. Um, something like this feels very foolproof. Um, and then also with real tone, I can only really say that I might've seen sample images from someone I will not mention compared to a phone. I will not say, and the results may or may not be, uh, very obvious between the two. What does real tone do? So Real Tone is it's pretty much uh, they worked they collaborated with a lot of filmmakers and photographers and creative artists to uh, specifically people of color or people who are not people of color but um, pretty much anyone who has colored people of color in in film or art in general and so they've worked with this wide group of um, collaborators and they uh, tried to make it so that anytime you take a picture with a pixel that the color tones you're getting for skin tones are very accurate, um, whether it's with uh, correcting exposure. For example, you know, there's a lot of examples where, um, you know, people of color or, or darker skinned people specifically at night when you're taking a selfie or just, just generally taking a picture with the main camera, uh, it, you might be very dark and very hard to see. Um, that's like a normal experience that some other people don't experience. So um, it's just one of those things that they've actually tried to curate that experience and make it more natural looking and just give you a photograph that actually looks like you. Um, and I can't say much, but that is arguably my most favorite camera feature because, um, I mean, I think I could speak for everyone that it's just very nice to be able to be represented as yourself in a picture that you took of yourself. Um, and <laughs> especially when you compare it to some other cameras, like it's, it's one of those things that's in the back of your mind, like subconsciously, you don't think of it because you just think, okay, I took a photo. I'm dark skinned. Of course, I'm not going to be like that visible in this photo because it's night, but then you see what they can do. And then you're like, you kind of feel a little emotional about it because you kind of feel for a lot of people um, that have just sort of let this be the norm for a long time and just not really questioned it because they haven't really experienced anything else before. So um, for them for, for, to be able to see something like that change uh, and, and look at a photo and actually see yourself is, is very, very nice. Nice. I do want to say, though, to Lauren's point about giving a company credit for doing something that should have been done. I probably should also say that this should have been done so much longer ago, <laughs> not in 2021. So it's great that it's a feature. 
I will rave about it, but I also think it should have come much sooner. Uh, so just want to just want to point that one out is that it shouldn't have taken until 2021 to come out with such a necessary feature. Mm -hmm. uh, Lauren, how do you feel about this pixel? Um, like Julian, not like I can say all that much at the moment, but I will say that um, Android 12 so far is pretty impressive. I've had the opportunity to try Android 12 on one device while I'm using Android 11 on another device. And it like, to me, the differences are pretty notable. And um, Android 12 is just, it's fun. It's more colorful. It feels more fluid. It, the icons are larger. I think my, you described it earlier as cartoonish. And I, I agree with that, but I like it at the same time. There's something about it. Um, it must be it's that. It's like, like a grown up cartoonish. Yeah. It's not yeah, like a like, kitty cartoonish. You know when like you do that thing where you try to make your phone's interface intentionally unappealing so you're not checking it as much? Like you go grayscale or you put it in some sort of do not disturb mode. I've been using this a lot in iOS 15, like the work, the focus modes that are available. Um, this is like the opposite of that. Like Android 12 is just pure candy. You just look at it. You just want to touch it and play with it. And, and particularly on the Pixel 6. Um, so I think, yeah, that's been pretty cool so far. Um, and my rant, I'll just be quick about this. Um, I have it on good authority that the in-display fingerprint sensor in the Pixel 6 may or may not be that great. Oh, boy. <laughs> so they got rid of the physical fingerprint reader. Yeah, there's no you know, fingerprint sensor on the external body of the phone. It also does not have any type of uh, face ID or face unlock. Okay. And this is, so, yeah. this sounds absolutely maddening because I have a pixel four XL, which does have face unlock and does not have a fingerprint reader. And of course I've been wearing a mask ever since like the mm -hmm. day I got the phone. So face unlock has just been a nightmare for me for the last couple of years. And I was so looking forward to getting rid of this phone and getting a new Pixel so that I could go back to a fingerprint sensor because Google went back to the fingerprint sensor on the Pixel 5 series. Mm -hmm. And now if I want to get a 6, it's the the crappy one and not the good one that I have to deal with. And there's no face unlock. So it's like, I can't win unless I buy last year's phone. Yes. And we should say to wait for Julian's review for the full review where he will determine how good the fingerprint sensor really is. But <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I think, yes, your concerns are valid, Mike. Yeah. And um, I mean, yeah, face ID or face unlock has been pretty frustrating while we're all wearing masks. And we don't know if that's really going to change all that much in certain parts of our society for a long time. So so masks may be here to stay for a while, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is annoying to unlock your phone with your face. So it's good in that it's nice to have some kind of tactile option where you can just put your finger to the phone and unlock it. Um, the in-display stuff has a ways to go, I think. Mm. Yeah. Let's just say I'll take a fingerprint sensor over face unlock during the pandemic any day, <laughs> just because I just hate it, it. Apple tried to do some stuff where they, you know, brought up the, 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 the pin code when your mask is on. It never really works for me. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. It's just very frustrating. And I know there's like this weird Apple watch integration that I don't really want to figure out how to do. It's probably my job to do that, but whatever. Um, uh, yeah, I, I will take a, a fingerprint sensor any day. Works for my white friends, the Apple mask recognition thing. Oh, uh, oh, that's maybe interesting. They, maybe they yeah. need some real tone. Yeah. yeah, maybe they need some real tone on yeah, the iPhone. Yeah, for real. Um, Mike, what are your rants and raves around this? All right. Well, the, the only thing that I have is sort of a concern, and I, I want to put this to the panel. 
because you all have seen the phone a couple of times now. Uh, and, you know, as we said, we have them in-house. Um, I look at the design and I feel like, okay, that is a phone, the Pixel 6 I'm talking about, that is a phone that needs to have a case. Am I right or am I wrong? I would say no. Like, yes, have a case because please don't like break your phone. But, and it is glass on both sides. So unlike the Pixel 5, which had like a resin on the back, it actually will shatter on both sides. But from a perspective of someone who doesn't like cases and don't you don't want to have a case, um, they designed it so that that camera bump will never rock. So like how on the iPhone, for example, one of the sides has the camera bump. And so when you put it on a flat surface and you're tapping on one corner of the iPhone, it'll rock. And a lot of phones do that. So they designed it so that it'll never rock. Um, I have felt a little worried at times, I suppose. Uh, and I, I feel like I can say this because this includes the hands-on part of things, but I was a little worried sometimes when you're putting it on, on surfaces that like that glass is like making such huge contact with, uh, different surfaces, but mm. that would happen anyway, if you put a case on it as well. Um, so I don't think you need a case. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's like, um, meant to have a case, but it is just another one of those added protections. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't think you need a case. I do think this Pixel 6 is a lot more elegant feeling than earlier versions of the Pixel. I've been calling it the Samsungification of the Pixel phone. It's flashy, it's glass, it's shiny. Um, that, yeah, the camera module on the back like pops out quite a bit. So I could see why you might think you need a case. And I have seen a case on the Pixel 6 and it looks pretty cool. The way that like, I don't know, it just kind of fits around the, the strange camera module on the back. All right. Well, uh, I will consider my fears assuaged, although you just gave me new fear when you said Samsungification. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think Brenda touched on this earlier, but like, I do like it when a phone tries to be very different. Um, I, maybe it's because I review phones and all of them look very boring over time, but it's very nice to be able to get something that like you can tell from the end of the hallway or the end of the subway car that like, Hey, that person's got a pixel. That's something I do for fun. Cause I'm lame. I look at other people's phones and I'm like to my partner, that's a Huawei or that's a OnePlus." And my partner's like, I do not care. Um, but you know, for me, it's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. So I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing, hopefully uh, if they get people to convince people to buy it, um, finding all the pixels on all the subways and, and pointing them out. Julian, I do that too. And I was recently out to dinner in Silicon Valley and I saw someone with a Samsung Galaxy Fold and I said, excuse me, sir, <laughs> is that a Samsung Galaxy Fold? And he said, yeah. And I said, is it the three? And he said, no, it's the Fold 2. And I said, oh, really? What inspired you to buy the Samsung Galaxy Fold 2? And he went through all of its features. And I'm just, I'm, I know the features, but I'm listening. And I'm like, uh-huh. And, like, and he's like, oh, and you can do this. And look at, you can do that when you unfold it. The app goes to full screen. And then you can do this and this. And I stopped him and I said, do you work for Samsung? And he said, yep. And I was like, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I was so excited. I thought I saw a Samsung Galaxy Fold in, in the wild. And it, I mean, it, it was in the wild. It was just out to dinner, but it was... It was a Samsung employee. If it helps, I saw a delivery driver with a fold, which I thought was amazing. Oh, did, you, did you have the opportunity to ask him or her why? See, I'm I'm shy. Um, I don't talk <laughs> to people when I when I don't have to. So. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, we got to wrap this up, um, and so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will do our recommendations.
All right, welcome back. This is the final segment of the show where we all tell our listeners the things that they might enjoy. Brenda, what is your recommendation? Okay, so I know I recommended a show on the last podcast episode I was on, but I'm going to recommend another show because all I do with my free time is watch TV. Um, This time, it is a show called The Bold Type. It's so bad it's good, but it's on it was originally on freeform it's not on anymore but you can find it on hulu um and it's basically about these three women who work at a glossy magazine that may or may not be based on cosmo um and it's just so unrealistic watching as a journalist because the assignments that they get the workload or lack thereof that they get the amount of time they have to spend just talking in the office and going on these random adventures um is just very funny and comical. So um, it's also just a good, uh, I don't know, it's a good show to like zone out to. So if you need like a happy show, this is the one. So it's sort of like the Cosmo of TV shows. 100%. I think Joanna Coles is also like an executive producer on it. She makes a little bit of a guest appearance, but I won't give away much. But yes, 100%. Nice. Sounds a little bit like younger, Brenda, which you and I have both admitted we, we secretly love. Same vibe and tone so yes okay the bold type going on the list uh julian what is your recommendation uh i am gonna broadly sort of recommend electric skateboards um uh, i tested an electric skateboard the review is up today i think on on wine.com uh i tested the uh one from evolve it's called the hadian um it is also way too much money for a skateboard it's close to three thousand dollars which what is insane but this is the this is the top end of top end electric skateboards which i am i'm very or like i'm a newbie i i literally haven't ridden a skateboard before and this is my foray into this entire category and so this i'm, I'm starting at the top for some bizarre reason um but there are a lot of other much cheaper electric skateboards that you can get um but i feel like this 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 uh experience with this first one has sort of uh opened up something and now I feel like I'm getting this itch to just hop on a board and, and go down the street. Um, so now I feel like I'm going to start pulling another electric skateboards and start testing other ones. So um, I will say, though, I fell on my first oh. ride and I hurt my chest for like two weeks. Oh. And uh, it, it took uh, took two weeks, but uh, I I literally had like PTSD. I'd, like the skateboard was just by the door for two weeks and just staring at me and I would just leave the house and I was like, I should take the skateboard. And I'm like, walking is great. Um, and so I walked. Uh, but then I I've kind of mustered the courage after the pain went away. And uh, I, I went very slowly. And that's something I have to sort of stress. Take it very slow. Wear helmets and protective gear. Um, don't go 15 miles an hour on your first ride. You know, learn to balance. Um, yes, Brenda, I'm dumb. Uh, and, um, yeah, so, but, but once you do all that, then, then, then enjoy it. I, I was just going to say that only Julian would review a skateboard while in the process of learning to ride a skateboard for the first time ever. So you, he doesn't give himself enough credit because he learned how to ride one in probably record time. So that's why I rolled my eyes. <laughs> Wow. So I, I have a love-hate relationship with electric skateboards, or as I call them, internet skateboards, uh, just because I grew up like from, I don't know, 12, 11, 12 years old skate skating, like actual real skateboards. And um, when those things started showing up, I was just pointing at them saying like, no, 
you know uh like boosted came out with the the first one that i wrote on and i called it a wrong board in the review anyway i've come around on them just because they get people out of cars and into the bike lanes and they're fun so who am i to tell people that they can't go out and have fun on an internet skateboard as long as they don't hurt themselves yes i agree all right well thank you for agreeing with me <laughs> lauren what's your recommendation my recommendation maybe it'll help julian uh, since it sounds like you got pretty banged up on that skateboard um it's a brand of bath salts made by knipe which is a German brand. It's spelled K-N-E-I-P-P. Um, I was calling it Neep. That is incorrect. A friend who speaks German told me it's Kneipe. But they're incredible bath salts. Uh, this friend who speaks German gave them to me recently. And I've been using the relaxing lavender bath oil and the Dream Away Valerian and Hops bath oil. And there's also a really good... Um, relaxation, lemon balm, mineral bath salts, and pretty much you just can't go wrong with, with any of these. Like there's one with Arnica, um, with all of these bath salts. So, and oils. So, um, I recommend checking out Knipe. So are these, are these the bath salts that you smoke or do you crush them up and snort them? (laughs) So (laughs) it's funny. I didn't know that bath salts were like also codename for crazy drug that you smoke and no, these are like bath salts that you like you there's a tub of running water somewhere and you put them in there and they fizz a little bit and they make you feel good and maybe they're placebos, maybe not, I don't know, but like just you just put them in the bathtub, you don't smoke them. Okay. I I don't have any scientific backing, but um I will anecdotally say that I did have some other pain from a while ago and I did take a bath salt bath and it was Great. It fixed me up right away the next day. So, Well, Julian, I'm going to send you some Knipe, especially now that I'm apparently I'm an influencer I'm recommending bath salts. Maybe they'll send me some and then I'll send them to you. <laughs> Mike, what is your recommendation? Uh, I want to recommend a new podcast. It's called Curious Creatures. Uh, and it is called that because the two hosts are uh, Lal Tolhurst uh, from The Cure and Budgie from The Creatures, also from Susie and the Banshees, uh, two sort of like punk, post-punk icons from the 70s and 80s. And it's an interview podcast where they interview guests every week. It's brand new. So the only guests so far have been uh, James Murphy from LCD Sound System and the guy who was the original bass player in The Cure. Uh, they also answer listener questions. And there's a lot of shows like this, but I want to recommend this one because like, first of all, Lol and Budgie are really funny, really charming British gentlemen. And their way of speaking and their way of telling stories is just, I could just listen to it for hours and I love it. And uh, the questions that come in from from the audience are pretty good and they do a really good job of answering them. Uh, it's actually, it's like my favorite part of the show more so than the actual interviews, although the interviews are also good. Anyway, if you like, you know, sort of alternative music, I guess you could call it, you know, the the music of like the the darker stuff from the 80s and from the 70s, then uh, you will like this show because they talk a lot about that era. And um, if you just like interview podcasts about musicians by musicians, then it's a good one. Curious Creatures. All right. I can't promise I'm going to check it out. But as always, I love <laughs> how you recommend the most obscure music podcasts. Okay, what is like literally, you okay, know, yes, you're right. the cure is not million obscure. albums sold yes. between these no, two this guys. Is this is it's, not obscure music. This is like No, you're absolutely right. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you, Julian. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Awesome as always, guys. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by the excellent Boone Ashworth. Goodbye. We will be back next week. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life or why China's targeting the U.S. dollar and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.